Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood sub-genres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi there, friends. It's me, your Broadway buddy, Ben Cameron. All right. As you are all most likely aware, the circumstances of the last couple of years have had a profound impact on the theater world at large. Think about it. There was no single industry on Earth quite as decimated by the pandemic as live theater and live performance. I mean, sure, we went to Zoom for readings and concerts and to TikTok for new musicals like Ratatouille, which, by the way, brilliant and fun. But theater just really isn't theater unless it's live. Outside of the pandemic, uh, Broadway was called to face up to long-standing inequities, including race and inclusion for non-binary, queer, disabled actors, stage managers, creators, etc. There were marches, there were uncomfortable discussions had, and a crop of inspiring organizations committed to change and progression emerged. One such organization is the Black Theater Coalition, which is helmed by one of today's guests, my longtime pal T. Oliver Reed, who is currently starring as Hermes in Town on Broadway. I wanted to open up our show to have a discussion with some of my favorite Broadway veterans to chat about not only the black experience on Broadway, but the intersectionality of being a black and queer artist in our industry today. Now, from where I sit, these conversations can sometimes be challenging, but they're always important and always inspiring. And with a group like this, full of joy. So I gathered together T, who is so fierce, by the way, if you did not know this, that while swinging Town went on at a moment's notice to play one of the fates normally played by a female actor. I mean, what? I should have talked to him more about that in this episode. We also had Laquette Charnel, who I toured with in Sweet Charity, who just closed down Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway. The just plain silly talented Nick Rashad Burroughs, who took his final bow as Ike Turner in Tina, the Tina Turner musical recently. And Antoine Hopper from A Strange Loop. It is a hell of a group. All incredible triple threats, all shining examples of black excellence on Broadway, all fearlessly queer and in the spotlight. And, well, they're all just a damn good time. So let's open up our hearts and our minds and our funny bones for this really special episode of the Broadway cast. Now, before we get to it, make sure you subscribe to the show, rate us, review us, share us with your friends. Make sure you follow us on social media at The Broadway Cast. Follow me at Ben Does Broadway. And if you want to support us even further and get exclusive content, behind the scenes content made just for you, you've got to be part of our Patreon family. You can click the link in the liner note and you can support us on Patreon. We would just love it. 
All right, it's time to talk to these fabulous friends. Let's go on with the show. Love a jingle, jingle jangle, yeah. jingle all the way. You've got to love a jingle. Hi everybody, here I am. I'm your Broadway buddy Ben Cameron, and I'm so excited to be in the room with these four, dare I say, legends. Yes, I do dare say. This is about as hot a group as we're ever going to have on the show, um, and that's no offense to all the other panels that we have had or will have in the future, but this is pretty epic. So let's say hello. Uh, recently finished his run as Ike Turner in Tina the Musical. You've seen him on Broadway in King Kong, Kinky Boots, Touring the Country with Something Rotten. Nick Rashad Burroughs is here. Hello, everybody. Hi, Nick. Um, hey. Just, hey, Nick! The people yay! love him! Nick, <laughs> Nick, tell me a little bit about um, Closing Night with Tina. What were, the, what were the emotions there? It was such a magical night. I mean, it's been a part of my life now for three years. I was there the first opening when Oprah escorted Tina Turner herself in. And then I was there. (laughs) And then to make my final bow as Ike Turner at the end of that journey. I mean, it was just like this was a chapter of my life that I'll never forget. And I'm very happy. So, yeah. (laughs) It's it's, It's amazing. And I'm so happy that... The world got to see you elevated to that principal role on Broadway where you deserve Thanks, to be, love. where you should be. Also with us, how many Broadway credits can one lady have? She's appeared on Broadway in Mrs. Doubtfire, Liz Estrada Jones, Memphis, The Lion King. What am I forgetting? It's Laquette Charnel Pringle. Hi, Laquette. Hi, love. What up, what up? So many, what so up? many of the Broadway shows. <laughs> uh, you recently yeah. closed a show as well with Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, just quickly, how, in a nutshell, what are the challenges of trying to do an eight-show week with a toddler at home? Uh, quickly, it's, am I allowed to curse? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it. Okay, great. I got the thumbs up. It's bad shit crazy is what it is. <laughs> that is fucking nuts. It's is what it is. But, you know, it's it's cool when um, you're on, like, the Today Show, the morning shows and whatnot, and... Your kid sees you on TV and they're like, wow, like that's where you've been. Okay, that's cool. Like it, it's, it was a really humbling and um, exhausting, but cool experience to do. Yeah, and sleep. Ha ha. We all can't <laughs> sleep. You gave them years ago for a full and rich life. That's what you did. (laughs) Also with us by the grace of God, currently starring in a strange loop on Broadway, the Tony winning mega hit. It's also appeared in hair on Broadway. Antoine Hopper is here. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I can't tell you how glad we are that Antoine's here. He's made a nice sweet baby. Hi everyone. And you look fabulous. The people can't see you, but you look fantastic. Wait, you can't see Oh, me? I can see I can see you. Yeah, we oh, can we see, see you. Oh, listen, I mean that eye. The general listen, public. That, that, listen, that, that delightful eye. That Are you wearing an eyelash this early? That's not eyeliner, honey. That's called talent. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. We're putting that on t-shirts. That's not that's, eyeliner. That's called that's gorgeous. That's, that's talent. And on the back. <laughs> that's called. <laughs> um, Antoine. Yes. Antoine, uh, in, in three words, describe life at a strange loop right now. 
amid all the buzz and the the hullabaloo and the unreal, incredible phenomenon, and fast. Yeah, Quick. coming at you hard from all angles. Mm -hmm. Exciting though. What an exciting thing to be a part of. What an exciting movement to be a part of. Yes. Um, glad you're here. And talk about Broadway credits. I. What do we have? T. Do we have 10, 11, 12? What are we at? Broadway credits. Who me? Officially thirteen. Oh. <laughs> Work. That's <laughs> you, Antoine. Come back. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's go back to Antoine. We're not done yet. We're not done. <laughs> Oliver Reed, who's currently starring as Hermes in Hades Town, Once on This Island, Mary Poppins, Sister Act, The Wedding Singer, 13 Broadway shows, truly legendary. T, I think we're all we were all so thrilled to see you take over the role of Hermes. Um, what what was that like? Going, you were swinging the show, and and to be bumped up. Tell me yes. a little bit about that. Uh, this it's been great. I mean it it. I mean, I think similarly to what Nick said, it's like, it's for me, it's, it's felt like three years of understudy rehearsals of watching and then to be able to take over the role has been, has, has been a joy. It, it, I, I can't say enough good things about it, about the experience, uh, about, about falling in, falling in the footsteps, but, but making my own path, you know, falling Andre mm. and then, and still being there and, and helping, helping the, the next, uh, Mrs. Hermes, the one and only Lilius White, as she finds her I way into the role. I mean, it's it's, it's been great, fine. and yeah, yeah, and and still giving notes to people on stage because I can I can be on stage doing a show and still spot you on the other side of the stage, not doing what you're not what you're supposed to be doing. So you I know, I absolutely believe nobody. You. I believe that's true. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I'm not trying to do anything wrong. Uh, if T. Oliver's watching, uh, all right, now <laughs> quickly. Uh, uh, we live in a world where we get to do not just our Broadway shows, but there's so many other things going on. There's charitable events and there's concerts and there's readings and there's workshops, which I don't know why Broadway people love to do while they're doing an eight show week, uh, but we just can't help it. More is always more. Where have your lives, the four of you, where have you intersected before? Everyone oh, just from meeting? Yes. Anyway, well, you're like, well, well you know, I honey, it's a, it's a community. We just- yes. <laughs> It really is such a community of all, like when a whole bunch of weirdos that come from wherever they came from and all like come to New York. And I mean, us being like the black weirdos that like musical theater, we all, we like, we latch onto that. The people that we don't know, we'd be like, oh, I got to know who that is eventually. So who are you? And, and we become yeah. friends. So at least for me, that is my connection yeah. to everyone here. Yeah. We make yeah, it it's odd, like, to like, know each other. Yeah, like we've we've like none of us have, at least I've not I've not worked with Laqued or Antoine. Nick and I just worked together on on a reading a few months ago. But after like, and I'm old, and I, so I've been I've been here for a minute. But like the idea like that never like actually been in, in shows with these amazing these three amazing people these human beings is so odd. But we all know each other because we hear each other's names and we know each other's faces. So when you see each other, there is always that you know. There, there is something that feels familial about seeing each other and not that way. It's like, oh, this is, we we got to fight for this job. We got to do this. It's like, oh no, somebody, it's, it's always that like yeah. someone's going to show up. It's like somebody's getting the job today. It's going to be one of us because everybody's going to turn it out. Everybody, yeah. all these people are going to turn it out. Everybody's got their song. They got, they got their point shoes ready. They're ready to do it. 
Not well, to the point to. Those boots have been away for some time. That's but the yeah, drama yeah. about this group, yeah. though, is that all four of you do absolutely everything at a level that is simply bonkers. All right. Want to jump in with a little warm-up. Let's warm ourselves up and get comfortable. We have a little game that I think originally I was calling True Truth and a Lie, and that's not how this worked out. This ended up being some truth and maybe a lie, but I've got some for each of you. And the challenge here is for everybody who I'm not talking about to guess which statement about an onstage mishap is true. Here we go. Let's start with our good friend Laquette, shall we? She's our good friend. All right, Laquette. Try to keep your poker face. What up? All right. Oh, God. Here are your three options. Laquette says that she had a dress strap break while she was standing center stage. Out came the ladies in a weird show bra. She went on the number holding her dress in place. Or she dropped her makeup powder on a subway track while running late, and she had to set her face with bronzer for the show that day uh, and looked like a disco ball in exactly what the cast called her afterwards. Or her wig fell off, nearly fell off during a show. A cast member grabbed her by her costume, turned her around and readjusted the wig to save the show, which is true. Is it the bra, the dress strap? Is it the powder and the bronzer, which I would like very much to see? Or is it the wig going off? I want to start by saying that wigs falling off of people's head during live theater is my favorite thing <laughs> in the world. Nothing it's a platform. Out, nothing takes you out of your suspension of disbelief quite like somebody's hair falling off. It's so true. It's very true. All right, what do you guys think? Which one of those things is true? <clears throat> I'm going to go I'm with gonna... the, uh, the dress. We have one vote for the dress. Is that A? The I first feel... one? That is A. Yes, actually, that's A. Okay. Also, Two, because three. one, yes, oh, because my only reason is because, listen, look, most black people ain't walking around with bronzer because we already bronze, so that's a no. Yeah. And somebody's going to help up with the makeup. No. I'm going with A. All right. You've all voted for A, but here's the catch. Both of the other things except A were true. I made the thing about wow. the dress. Oh. Oh. Look, quite first of all, why you moving? You dropped your makeup directly in the middle. You lucky. You were unlucky as that day. You were that unlucky that it fell directly in the middle, just like all directly? your makeup. Directly, like friend, when I tell you there was like NW forty five on the platform on the tracks, oh, like on expensive. the shoe, gone. And it's so funny uh-huh. you were saying like there's always somebody who can help you with makeup. I was the only black dark-skinned woman in my show so there was no one else to help me out with makeup in the show uh yeah so bronzer had to be the one that was the only random thing that was in Uh my bag what show was it for show it was lissistrata off broadway yeah Not even I too, I too had something he could have. <laughs> I too could Liz not Michael, help you this day. Call you, Liz. <laughs> Call you him know, out. Liz, Liz had a mind right. Liz had the mind right. Liz was like, I'm in New York. I'm going to be black. And I'm going to go out here with a lash and y'all going to like it. And that was the truth. Yes. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> I had no hope. That's crazy. Uh, I... And your wig almost fell off, too, which I love that somebody had the wherewithal to grab you and adjust your wig 
That's a true yeah. friend. Well, I mean, true friend I'm will help petite, you put your wig I'm back on. I'm a petite on. little thing, but I can, you know, the upper back, like, move. So that wig just kept going like this. What <laughs> show was that? And that was not... The day. That was Sweet that was Charity. Sweet charity. Oh, that'll do it. And was your wig the same wig that you wore on tour? That was the same wig that I wore on so tour. So it's a lot and of it wig. was significantly heavier. It was a lot of hair. It was a lot of hair on a very small person. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a lot. It was a lot. But you know, it's all good. Between tour and Broadway, the wigs are heavier. Okay. And that's everything we ever needed to know and more about Laquette Chardell. Moving on to <laughs> Antoine. All right. Antoine says... That a cast member missed their entrance and everybody went quiet on stage. So he started saying their lines for the rest of the scene. They made it on stage right before they were supposed to sing. A. B. Huh. Antoine thought he missed an entrance cue. He tore through the dressing rooms, knocking things over, and burst onto center stage <laughs> in a full guard costume, only to realize that he hadn't missed the cue at all. He was very early and was interrupting a very intimate scene between the leads. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I can't imagine that. I'm sorry. I, I, C. Forgot the lyrics to his song and began meowing his way through. This went on for an entire verse. Meow, meow, Okay, meow, so all meow, of these meow, are meow, true. Meow. I feel like all of these are true. <laughs> it's giving these I don't, I don't, I don't think I don't think that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Anton, why are they calling you out? Because you so the thing is, is that if Antoine were to meow for a whole song, that song would be so ill. That oh, the only song anybody ever heard on a Broadway stage. Would be a stage, beginning, would be middle, end. Yes. You would be dead in the house. Ooh. It would be so dope. Thank you. All right, make oh, your choice. Win. Cast your votes. I'm gonna go with B. That was the interrupting an intimate scene. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah interrupting the scene. B. I'm gonna go with B. I'm gonna go with B as well. Oh, all right. As being true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. T. I, I still Here's, think okay, all so, three. Okay. No, see, I, I, I still think all three as well. I'm not gonna <laughs> go with B, so that we are all not all choosing the same thing. So I'm going with meow. I think I'm gonna say you came out and gave us a full meow. And the answer is B. He burst through the dressing room in a guard costume with a giant sword during Aida at the Muni. And ran on stage. <laughs> and Antoine Hopper, did you see how you came up and I knew because you came into the you came onto the system today. You did no. it today. <laughs> ben. Yes. You should share the news yes. with Laquette what show that was. Laquette, that was uh Aida at the Muni, which you were also in. I was just about to say, I feel like I saw this happen. <laughs> yes. And Lisa Simone was Aida, and she went. Yes, but just Simone is oh, like seething. Yeah, but still trying to be in the moment. I was like, oh, it was a be scene between Will Chase and Lisa Simone when they first met. Is that just and me and a he, gentle backup, or is that like a nod to her and be like, I meant to do that, bye bye? Honey, you get your ass off the stage. It's Lisa Simone. <laughs> um, she was like, get off, and I was like. <laughs> but it was so uncomfortable because you know how big that Muni stage is. You can't miss me and Keith Tyrone. Yeah, you're, no one's getting off into the wings in two seconds flat. No, it took yeah. us a, so that's a long a track. Way to run off. It was 30 seconds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a jog. Um, but let's talk about uh, Lisa Simone. Simone. She went by Simone when I did the show with her. 
let's talk about that gospel um, God's Love Nubia moment that she likes to throw around every once in a while. It's like that Anita Baker. Exciting stuff. All right. T. Oliver Reed, here we go. T. Oliver Reed says, It was once choreographed to run across stage and dramatically swing on a pole. He jumped, missed, fell, tore his oblique, and finished the number. Or, he got kicked straight in the head by a fellow actor during a number. Let's say that actor was, I don't know, Richard Blake. Or, broke a heel on stage right before a big dance break, took off both of his shoes, threw them into the wings, and did the break. The crowd went wild. Is it the, Where's the, is it the pole dance? Where's the lie? Where's the lie? Is it the pole dancing mishap? Is it getting kicked in the head by Richard Blake? Wild man that he is. Or throwing your heels into the wings and killing the dance break to the amusement of the audience. Make your choice. I'm going to go with A and and, be, and and wonder if I'm going to find out some questionable thing that happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've got an A That's and a B. Antoine? I'm, I'm going to go with A as well. I would go with C if I was confident in knowing if T. Oliver Reed danced. Oh, no, wow. no, no, that's no. I'm saying if I knew. Wow. I'm saying, no, an, no Antoine, Antoine, Antoine and I don't really know each other. We are no. Mess. And no. now a mess. He don't mean nothing about that. Y'all see y'all acting. Antoine and I are just fine. Like, like we have seen each other. We are just meeting, meeting today. Antoine, I know that was no harm, no foul. Foul, I know what you're saying. In this world, this was, of course, I'm referencing La Caja Fold. Yes. Right. Uh, but the truth is that both A and B are true, and I made C up entirely. Uh, but yes. the answer for you, Nick, is that T did hurt himself, and I'll let T tell you about wow. it. Oh, no. It was, no, doing the, look, years ago, doing um, the pre-Broadway Romeo and Juliet that Terrence Mann had written. So we're in Minneapolis, we're doing this number. Christopher Demboise was a choreographer, and this big opening number where the Capulets and the Montagues having this fight, 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 and all the stage actually looked like sort of a, a first version of a sketch from from Hamilton. Like it was always like around like poles around the stage, blah blah blah. One at one moment did this like barrel turn, then run across the stage and swing around a pole to come right back on stage. I swung and my oblique said nope. Threw fell down, fell down right on the stage, and the energy was so high that oh. I, I didn't think anything about it. Finished, went and went and swung somebody else around, ran around, finished the number, and then went back off stage. It was like, and that was it. Torn oblique. Sands and oblique. Damn. Damn. Yeah. And, and that's such a real thing, man. Adrenaline can make you forget for everything. It all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, especially if you're doing but, something yeah, crazy athletic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and also probably, you know, I probably had not had any water that week because you know you out on on the road and drinking and enjoying, but. I tore the oblique, had to like wrap it up for the next couple of days. But literally, you're, you're like, it's like it's all stabilization. Like you can't get out of bed, you can't cough, you mm. can't do anything without those obliques like getting involved. So there's that. And then in wedding singer Richard H. Blake kicked me in the head, had to have surgery. He tried to paralyze me. No, he tried to paralyze me. no, not he tried to take you no. out. Honey. You see that's wait, you see that scar oh, right there. Today Did you really yes. have to? Oh, have I thought surgery? you just. I, Oh, I, I have a spinal fusion from C4 to C7. What? Oh, oh my God. God. Yes. This just in, all points bulletin. I did not know. Rich, no, see, and, and it, he, clearly he did not mean it, but in the, uh, the first number of the second act, all about the green, we were in these two 
these two circles and everybody was doing tilts and we're supposed to be inner circle between the outer circle and something the circles were off one night we we all tilted and kicked he kicked yes antoine i can tilt i'm gay i'm gay <laughs> i was just gonna say did you hear he, he also he said barrel yes. turn antoine barrel yes. turn i can do a barrel oh, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was when i was young that was young but no but like like he he kicked me in the side of the head and i was like richard just kicked me didn't think anything of it. Then a couple of days later, had no feeling in this arm. <gasps> By the end of the week, was trying to do one of the numbers and started to fall and couldn't catch myself. And so I went to the doctor the next week. I was like, this kind of happened. He's like, oh, yeah, that was quadriparesis. You cannot do that show again until you have surgery. So oh what God. to find yeah. it out that way. Now, if you, just, if yeah. you think the theater is in a blood sport, now you know. All right, oh, I've yeah, got one yeah, more. Yeah. We've, got, yes. we've got to get Nick's in there. Nick. Yes. All right. Accidentally threw a basketball into the audience and hit a cast ma castmate's grandma in the face. <laughs> was hit. <laughs> the next one. He was hit in the face by a rogue basketball while singing a number. Or C, as a swing, grabbed a basketball out of another actor's hand when he got confused about which trick he was uh, track he was on, which trick he was on for, which track he was on for. <laughs> so there are basketballs wow. involved in every story. option here. Yeah. Grab lots I'm of gonna things. say, what what was the one where you grabbed the uh, the actor's ball? I'm gonna go as with a that swing. Letter. He grabbed a basketball out of another actor's hand because he thought it was his. When he got confused about what yeah. track he was on for, or was he I, hit in I the think... face by a basketball? Or did he I, hit I think grandma's you, face? You took somebody's ball. You took somebody's ball. I would do it. I would do it. <laughs> I would do it. Not proud. Give me your <laughs> I would do Give it. Give me your <laughs> I would do it. Yes. <laughs> Are we all voting for that? No, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm voting for hit somebody's grandma in the face with the basketball. That's A, uh -huh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's A. Yeah. Antoine? What show is that, Nick? Songs well, for a I, new world. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not going with that. Um, let's see. <laughs> what was B again? Because my I lost connection. Please, real quick. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, he was hit in the face by a rogue basketball while whilst singing a number. And and C. And C was as a swing grabbed a basketball out of the hands of another actor when he got confused about which track he was in. C. D. C. Oh, C. I was like, you can't. There's no D, Antoine. C. Okay, great. <laughs> Turns out, Nick, tell him the truth. Uh, the answer is A. Uh, my friend's grandmother, who was very excited about seeing our production of Songs for a New World, had finally got in the front row of the audience. And I'm singing Steam Train uh, from Songs for a New World. And you know they have a lot of basketball. The song is about being a basketball player. And we right. have this, like, you know the basketball trick where you bounce the basketball up from, yes. from this part of your arm? Well, yes, you have to elbow. do like that to do it. You have to do like that. So I threw it directly into the face yes. Of, yes. Of, a grand, of a sweet. And I'm talking old, babe. She's old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I threw it directly to her face, and it's, and I stopped singing. There's a spotlight on me. I'm like, <gasps> oh, 
And then I walk, I have to walk off the stage, grab the basketball, and I'm like on mic being like, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I really, and she, and she was like, it's fine. Keep going. Keep she's going. She's talking to the audience. From the audience. So she's all right. Complete disaster. I love that she's assumed responsibility for it because she got front row seats. You keep oh, singing, I have to darling. I apologize to my friend's grandmother that came to see her. And I attacked her with a basketball. Listen, oh, I've thrown jump ropes into audiences. I too have thrown basketballs into audiences. Uh, because, but for, but to my defense, who gave me those things in the first place? Yeah, that choreography is risky. Idea. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's risky choreography. All right, so let me ask you guys. Um, I, we could do this all day, and I really want to, but I know I can't keep you all day. Just very, very quickly, um, like, I, there's no way to really truncate this, but I just, I'm just i always interested to know when you were bit by the theater bug. Well, was this from childhood? Um, when, when did this spark for you? Who did you see on stage? What did you see that, that you said, this is for me? T? Well, yeah. Oh, or Nick. Oh, no, go, no, go, I was Nick. helping everybody out. No, no, go, go. No. Um, I mean, honestly, it was from childhood. Like, I had been, grew up singing in the church. Uh, my guidance counselor in elementary school saw that I had, like, some some facility to, to sing and dance and also asked me if I would audition for something at our local little theater and did that and started just doing any of the local, any of the local shows or anything that were going on in, in my hometown of Gastonia, North Carolina. Uh, and then uh, the first shows I saw that came through Charlotte were Bubble and Brown Sugar, The Wiz, and Annie, and those were the ones that were like, "Oh, wow, you 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 should be paying attention to this." But it, it wasn't until I actually got got to New York after school and everything, and I saw the the revival of Guys and Dolls that had was Nathan Lane and yeah. Faith Prince and all those in it. That was like. I have finally had that moment of seeing the people on stage are like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be doing this. It's it's time for you to be doing this here and not 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 regionally, not in my hometown or anything else. But it was first it was that moment I had that like, oh yeah, this is this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah, well, at thirteen Broadway shows later, I think the proof's in the pudding that you were right about that, where you were supposed to be. Nick. Um, well for me, I I I, I got into theater really late because I was, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. I come, I, I, my only goal was to sing in choir and play football and run track. And so I knew that I needed to get a scholarship to go to school. So I had a very, very like serious detailed goal to get a, a, a scholarship in track. I hated my, it was originally football. I hated my football team. They lost every game. I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't want to be a part of that at all. So I, and I don't, and it's funny that I was going to go to college so much for track. I didn't like running track at all. I just was, it was like, they, your parents tell you you're good at something and you stick to it. Sure. And so I remember while I was in Alabama, still like running track and playing football, being that being the height of my life. And I saw a production of Ain't Mr. Haven that toured in, um, and I always sang in church and I always wanted to sing, but I saw theater for the first time when I saw Ain't Misbehaving in Alabama, uh, and with Reuben Stuttered, uh, who please the, the Velvet who Teddy Bear, the most the most famous person from Alabama. <laughs> so I, of course, my mom got tickets, um, 
she was my mom was so sanctified and she was not going to this anyway and she was like oh well you can just here give this to my kids let, let them go is, is it okay for kids and they didn't know and so we didn't even know what we were going to we thought we were going to a reuben stutter concert and so when i sat in the audience and i saw all these elegant black people in suits and all these women that looked like every woman in my family singing and just like it was magical and then i like then i remember the next day i was like i, I looked, looked up the tony performance of them and then i saw a list of other tony performances and i was like what the hell is this and then that's how i literally discovered theater was like seeing that show and then being obsessed with the show realizing that it was broadway it was a broadway show and then finding other broadway shows so amos behaven has a very special place in my heart it's what made me find theater have you had the opportunity to and i just show? and i was just, i uh, I actually got the opportunity to choreograph it in in Alabama in the same in the same theater that Neil Carter grew up doing theater because she's from Alabama. Nice. And well, my ex girlfriend is a <laughs> my ex girlfriend's aunt is Neil Carter, and I always and they, 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 I was very close to them growing up, and I and they always would tell me Neil would love you. You just you like it because they're in Alabama, and I'm the, I'm the only weirdo in the entire town. They were like. You just <laughs> loud and theatrical. You just like her. she would like you. We don't know what to do with you, but she would. Yeah. So I have a special connection to Neil Carter. Yeah. I just wow. want to clarify one more time that your ex girlfriend was Nell Carter's niece. All right. Uh, there's. I got. Wow. We all have to process that for a while. Liquette. <laughs> wow. I'm. I'm shook at these are some incredible stories. Shook at. Um, I would say the. <laughs> I would say the first time uh, I saw the Tony Awards, I uh, was watching it with my my late grandma, um, and I saw Damn Yankees. And I was like, what is that? Like, they were doing the, the What a Game number. And I was like, that looks awesome. I want to do that. That looks like fun. Um, but, you know, you're a little black kid in Dallas, Texas, and you're like, eh, I probably wouldn't do that. It was a whole stage of white people. It's fine. Moving on. And then I saw Lion King and I was like, oh, you can do this. All right, all right, I, I, I wanna do it, what they're doing. That looks really incredible. It was, it was fascinating to, um, to see impediment. It was in, in incredible to see like literally acting 101 of these incredible humans becoming animals and having these lives that were so rich and complex and <laughs> tactile and emotional and i just it, it makes me like tingly just even thinking about uh watching them from bass hall and and back home and seeing lioness chant come out of the wing for the first time when you're like 12 13 years old like that's just that's life-changing right there so that, that's my jam <laughs> well how did that feel when you took the stage in that very show was that a was that a oh you mean moment? how I cried every night? That's what I, that's what I mean. Yes, well, how you cried every night? Yeah, yeah. But about that moment where like I became the person who had to count all of the lionesses to get onto stage to start lioness chant, and I'm just like one, two, three, I, 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 like it was <laughs> really gnarly, and I, 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 I won't say I bawled, but I was. It was some thug tears for a solid week of my first performance. I mean, that's that. I love those moments. That those moments when you yeah. can trace back and go, "Oh my gosh, 
If only I'd known. When did the theater bug bite you, Antoine? I started wanting to be in theater when I saw a beautiful episode on 2020 hosted by Barbara Walters. And it was about Annie, the making of Annie in 1997. I was in seventh grade. And I remember we had just done what the old man, wait, we had just done um, Hans Christian Andersen at French Middle School, sixth grade. And we were about to do Wagon, Wagon Wheels West. And I had seen this uh, in the fall and I had realized that I wanted to do that on and off stage. I wanted all of that drama in my life. And um, I just remember like when they went through the auditions, then they went through um, the rehearsal period and then the Annie got sick and then her understudy had to go on. And then where were they or where they are now? And it was just um, thrilling. But I, um, I saw myself for the first time through watching that. So yeah. And then did you did you go on to college for the for the performing arts then Antoine? I did. I went to Topeka West High School and by the grace of God I went to Carnegie Mellon University and then I came here after graduation. And the rest as they say is history. <laughs> uh, I wanted this is besides you the the four of you being some of the most remarkably talented people I can even imagine existing. Um, we have a wonderful uh, intersection here of, of these wonderful uh, black and queer artists. And I want to talk a little bit about that experience. And I, I want to start with how has your queer identity impacted your life in the theater in either negative or positive ways to this point? <sighs> well, I, I'll, I'll jump in on this one. I don't know. I mean, now, now um, there are more queer and lesbian people who are out in the business. But when I was coming out, I didn't know any, I, first of all, I didn't know any other lesbians in musical mm -hmm. theater, let alone uh, <laughs> black lesbians. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, for me and how I was raised and how I was uh, brought up, I thought that if I were going to be gay, I better be the best, um, the best gay I could possibly be. So I tried to be as feminine as possible. I tried to put on the, the, the mask, the exterior of what will be most appealing to um, cis gay men <laughs> who I'm auditioning for and who are giving me opportunities. What are they going to like most? And you know, for the better part of a decade, it was, it was, um, it really tapped into a, a lot of my insecurities. It tapped into like, just like not feeling at home in my body, but somehow or another still feeling at home because I was, as Nick has said, um, uh, so far, you know, we're a bunch of weirdos, <laughs> you know, really cool, talented, amazing, smart, brilliant weirdos, but I felt othered in an already small niche of people. Um, so for me, the better part of my, the first part of my career, it was feeling ostracized and alone and like I had no idea who I was. Really grateful that um, my wife is the dopest person that's ever walked this planet. Um, and has been with me through all the transitions and helped me realize you can take this a, a day at a time. So I can sit here now and be really proud of the fact that I know a handful of um, uh, lesbian, queer, 
bisexual, you know, out young black and brown people in the biz. Like that's a really beautiful thing to see now. Yeah. And that was something yeah. that was on my mind. I think. <clears throat> Go ahead, Nick. No, I was just going to say, I think that um, things like that affect queer people in the business in a way that we undoubtedly don't talk about in safety of our jobs. Like, for instance, that, that is growing, thank God. But um, for instance, like, when I, when I was doing Kinky Boots, I was a lot smaller. I, got, I remember getting really skinny for it because I remember seeing in the audition process before it, I, I, in college, on my senior year, I, like, remember studying the fact that, okay, buff guys work on Broadway, and, and, and the, the way that they like people is if you're buff and if you dance masculine. So I was always, like, in the gym, and I was just, like, like, like just newly discovering my queerness, but then realizing, oh, well, I can't show at all. And so then when I, then the first big audition I get was Kinky Boots, and then I realized that, oh, I've been trying not to be queer enough and now I need to be as queer as possible so I I went on my little diet I lost my little weight I got snatched and then I like I like started to do all this to become this and then I got the job and then I realized from being proud of the job this is this is what queer people do to other queer people by the way to call it out um from being proud of the job I was limited and watched other people in this job be limited because of a show that they see me in and I'm not trans. I, I am a I am a queer person that likes to play roles that that date women, date men, date anything. But here I am. All of a sudden, I'm only being able to see, be seen for trans women roles and drag queens for a solid year. I I wasn't like during Kinky Boots, and then I had this, and then because of that it moved me into another direction when I got to do something rotten that was like, Ooh, when I come back to New York, I'm going to be buff as hell and I'm going to be manly as hell. And then they ain't going to bring me in for no gay things. I'm just be like, boom. And you know what? I lucked out and did that. And then I, and then in realizing that I did that, I, I got, well, in realizing that I was growing and that happened, I realized that I never want to do anything like that again, because the second that I started to notice uh, a confidence in myself, in my queerness, in my masculinity and my femininity, the second that I owned all of that was the was the second that I was able to be seen for both things. And so the reason that I only say that is because we do a lot of hindering ourselves to look a certain way so that we can be castable for something else. But that that is always limiting us to be a part of an not not that there's anything wrong with an ensemble, but a part. I'm just that's the word that's coming in my mind right now. And instead of being somebody creating something that vibrates off of just you, because you just you're trying to fit. You're going to school to fit into a box. You're going to school to fit into this straight box. I'm going. To, I'm working hard to fit in this gay box, as opposed to just being all facets of yourself and then yeah. letting the projects that are true to you come. But Nick, that's also that also becomes the issue with 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 us, especially being black and being queer, of of feeling like we need to fit into a box. When if you want to be the beauty that you are and the star that you are, and I mean, and by star, I don't mean because the other people have noticed you finally, 
the star is the person you were when you walked when you when you came onto the planet. You already wore the star. Yeah, yeah. To be able to oh to be to, exactly and but to be able to to like to really fill out all of who you are and and to say I'm going to be a little bit of this today and I'm going to be a little bit of that next week because that's a part of that's a part of what the, all of these ingredients that's a part of who I am as opposed to like early on someone's telling me okay you can't don't sit with your legs crossed because men don't do that it's like well I'm I'm I was born with a penis and testicles so I must be a man at least that's what I'm thinking and I, if I'm crossing my legs then it's okay for me to cross my legs and tomorrow, if I want to walk out with a skirt on, I can walk out with a skirt on because that's how I'm feeling tomorrow. And today, if I want to put on a suit and a tie, I can do that too because that's all of who I am. And and to not allow myself, especially anymore, to be caught in those places early on, I'm I'm totally with you. It's like for for a lot of those first shows, I was the only black man in the show because they weren't hiring more than one of us. They were, they just weren't doing it. It was just the one. Maybe and there maybe there would be one black male identifying and female identifying, but that was going to be it. And then you start seeing more shows and more opportunities. I mean, look, I don't know. Like when you for when you first got here, like there was there was a moment when I got here. Like there were times like if you walk into a party and there were two or three of us there, it's like oh, I, does one of us have to leave because there's only one there's only ever one black person in the room. So there was a lot of that that was always going on. So there was always there was also that kind of like not allowing yourself to really breathe and open up and really be who you are as a human being and an artist, because it was always like, I feel like I'm on borrowed time because I'm, I'm, I'm the only one for now. And then I think that was also a lot of times when, when new people came in the town, you know, came out of school and were starting to be seen by casting and, and, and getting some notice that everybody was like, what's going on? Does this mean I'm not getting a job again? It's like, no, we have to make space for all of us. That's the beauty of like, I think for me, that's the beauty of also where we are right now is there's so many stories being told. So there's so many of us allowed to be, to be a part of those stories as opposed to, oh, no, 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 no. We're just going to do this show again. And we're going to do the exact same casting we've done for the past 50 years because that has always worked. So you're not going to work for this show because we already have the black man. We don't have to do that anymore. And that was one of my questions that's on it. my list was addressing this idea of tokenism within casting. Um, for for so long and and feeling that exactly what you just touched on T that we got we've got these two slots to fill um, which is wild to me mm-hmm. so you do you all feel that tokenism is something that is changing was it something that it's changing it's not through yeah yeah but, but well I think it's I, I think yeah. it's a little oh I'm sorry I'm sorry uh, no, I, no sorry sorry well, I think that tokenism and colorism are kind of interchangeable within the world of casting, especially within the world of musical theater. Um, I, I'm not going to put anybody's shows on blast, but my third Broadway show, we went from being cast specifically because we were dark skinned, we could be on this side of town looking like type people that would be discriminated against because of the amount of melanin in our skin, only to have many of the replacements melanin not be as dark and that shift for an actor of color becomes it uh, to speak frankly it fucks with your mind because there's one thing that's there's one thing that happens when you are a dark-skinned person of color is you go i i have one track great there's one track in there for me so then <laughs> you start seeing less and less and less of people who look like you and you start going, I don't know where the hell I fit in. 
I don't know if I could actually be in the one black show because none of them look like me. And I don't think that that is something that a casting director who uh, is not a person of color, one, can understand, or two, uh, a creative team who has no other people who are people of color inside of the room with them to help them understand, listen, what story are we telling, number one, and number two, what are we doing about representation? Um, not only for this show, but hopefully for the progression of where we want the theatrical community to go, which is what makes this moment in time coming out of the pandemic, coming out of America's racial reckoning. I think that's what makes this artistic time so so poignant and so beautiful for artists of colors because we're like, we've been here the whole time and these are the stories that I wish that you could have been saying so we didn't have to be counting how many of us were in one single room, how many of Absolutely. us were in one single audition. You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't be bat, uh, crabs in a barrel, yeah? We would literally well, just be and, people. And look what I think what that's... I think with that, it's also the thing that always, always aggravated me with equity, wanting to know how many people of color were auditioning. It's like, I don't care how many are auditioning, how many are being hired? Because you can how bring in a hundred of us into a room to audition for a show, but if you're not actually going to hire any of us, and it was just about a quota, let me stay at home, let me save that, that headshot and resume, let me sleep late if you are not going to hire me. That's always an issue. I think with what you said, LaQuette, also it's like, there's the conversation that has to be had so that the entire creative team, and that needs to include casting as well, so that if a director and a choreographer have talked about what they think a show truly is and what they think a cast needs to look like, and casting doesn't know that, and casting just starts hiring people, then then the then the cast starts having that moment of like, where do I fit in? Because this the story that I thought we were telling is not the story that's being hired. It's not the new people who are coming in. So to make sure that everyone is on the same page with that, otherwise, and it also, I think it's also a little bit of that, that transparency that, that we keep talking about now. It's like, if we're going to be transparent, let's be transparent. Let's really understand what is going on and why it's going on and why this director is looking at it a certain way or, and why casting has, is falling suit or has, has, has ventured off in another direction or whatever it is so that these stories, these new stories that we want to tell and the way that we want to tell them and we want to see them ring true from opening night to the last night of the production. Mm-hmm. 1,000%. Yeah, because tokenism has just always bothered me in a way. Well, uh, uh, the obvious way. But um, I, I it's, when you decide that you want to do theater um, and you go to school for it, most times I, I studied all the exact same thing that my white counterparts have studied. So when I keep seeing shows, that is just about like about nothing but some about a story at work, but there's only one black principal, and we're supposed to believe that that one black friend always. Uh, but and then they have that one black person that's there to understudy him in the ensemble. We're supposed to believe that that like that the lead of the show couldn't if it's about I don't know an accountant. Why couldn't that story be like that? That is changing now, but it's it's changing in a sense of like, oh, all right, let's just make sure we fill the quota as opposed to remembering all these black, all these amazing black artists that you know are great, literally did the exact same thing in school, just played the exact same roles in, in class, tra trained the exact same way that you, that their white counterparts did. So it's, it's, it's so frustrating to see 
majority of Broadway, there's only a few little spots for black actors to really have an arc, to really have something, something other than a best friend, something other than like, like playing one, another black iconic person. Like it, like there's so many facets to us. And so the tokenism thing just bothers me because I am just so, Jordan Peele says, and I don't think this is offensive at all. He's like, the reason that I don't usually cast many white actors is because I've seen it. I would like to tell some, and the stories that he tells, it's not like some black trauma story or some queer trauma story. Black people go through a lot of other things that are not just racism and trauma from, from everything that you think. So it, it, it heals the world when more black people can actually see them being telling stories as opposed to only seeing themselves on Broadway as tokens. Yeah, sure. hey, but also it, 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 allow, it allows so much broader. Yeah, I was going to say, wanted, I mean, it also, yeah. it, when, you, you, when you finally allow people to, again, to, to dig into who they are, you actually get to see people grow into those, you get to see people mm. grow into all of their artistry. And that's the other thing that doesn't happen when, when you're looking at, at uh, black queer artists as, as tokens and only the one over here and the best friend. You never get to fully see them examine a character and build a character and grow into that. So we, you know, yeah. again, you look at some, yeah, you look at some of our white counterparts who have been stars since they were 20, 21, 24. It's like, yeah, they've grown into these because they've been given those opportunities. When you let black or queer know. artists have those same opportunities to really start to develop characters and really understand what that is and grow and grow and grow, then we will have so many more spectacular artists and, and storytellers because they have been given the opportunity and they've taken the opportunity to, to build and, and to continue to grow. And the stage is to be seen doing so. Um, you know, yeah. no, no show speaks to this quite as much as A Strange Loop does. I want to go back to Antoine here um, and, and pick your brain as to how your queerness, um, blackness, has, uh, has been a part of your experience and, and your journey in theater. Well, first off, I have to applaud everyone on this panel for... Uh, taking the initiative to speak your truth. And so eloquently, um, I'm a big musical theater nerd and I look up to all three of you. You all make me proud. And I think you just showed why. And that's because you are all in your own realm, a leader. And thank you. And thank you for continuing to speak your truth and the truth. And with that said, I specifically decided at Carnegie Mellon my senior year when we took the year course of the business of acting that my career will have nothing to do with my sexuality. My career will have everything to do with my ability and my talent. And I think, I think it's unfair that us queer people have to talk about our sexuality. Um, I'm starting a new trend and where I'm offended, how dare you ask me? Unless I get to ask you about who you sleep with because I went to school for acting not for being a queer man who acts. I am an actor. I play all and will play all things, including Eartha Kitt. I played her at Williamstown. I dare someone to knock on my door and come for me. I am an actor. I can play a snake. Are you going to cancel me? So I'm saying in that realm, it's not fair just because Nick is a man that he couldn't play a woman or a drag queen. It's acting. Um, to be fair, until a strange loop, me and my black self 
and musical theater, I decided that I would purposely do straight plays. And I don't mean straight in terms of sexuality. I mean, no music. So people knew I could speak the text and speech because I knew that I was a triple threat. And I knew that they would try to put that against me and put me in ensembles as I did at the Muni. The only black of a cast of 30 at Denver Theater Center 2, White Christmas. Hi, Patty Colombo. But all to say, <laughs> all to say, the thing that I love Didn't about this person Columbo's name today. up here is that we have and we are going to continue to do what we want to do, which God has put us on this earth. No cast director, no director, no interview, no question can dislodge that. I will continue to play characters outside of myself because I am what we all are, and we can say it together, we are actors. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I love that. And I think that's exactly what I, these viewpoints that I, that I wanted to be able to have a discussion about today. Well, I want to ask Nick uh, about your pop music that you're putting out there. Oh. Um, I'm obsessed with it. Uh, I, I love the grooves. I love, um, I love the videos. And um, I love that there's not a lot of people doing what you're doing. And is there, is there purpose or intention behind presenting yourself to the world as a pop star, um, as a queer <laughs> black person, or is it just about the music? Um, does it intersect at all? Well, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. um, I have all, the, theater is is something that I've that I found and fell in love with but my original dream and like love was always doing music and and being able to sing and I've been writing songs since I was a kid and I just kept it to myself and I I distinctly remember like realizing that I was leaning more into a to being when I realized that I'm I'm very queer and it's not changing and I was always surrounded by people that don't necessarily understand that I I literally told myself I was like well I can't be a gay recording I, I can't do that I can't do that and I I, I kind of just kept it to myself and so like I was saying earlier when I felt that like I started to when I started to literally come into terms with myself opportunity started happening that was an opportunity as well like during the pandemic i didn't have, like everybody has their aha moment in the pandemic that it's like i'm gonna elevate or i'm just gonna just do whatever it is and just make my own decision mine was a big elevation for myself and it, it was kind of no fucks about what anybody thought and i really genuinely have always overthought and cared about what everybody thinks and i limited myself so many times from doing that and um I just made a song, used the connections that I have made over the years and realized that I have amazing connections. Anytime that I ever just like use what the work that I've always been doing and stop worrying about what someone would think, success would come out of it. I made a song, it did really well. Then other people started joining me to make my music life grow even more. And I've been able to be my queer self. And because of that, I think, well, it would be a gag if I could say what I'm doing, but I can't really say yet. But like oh, all I'm that intrigued. to say, whenever that comes out later, um, Look, it's, it's still a like, gag. Yeah. It's well, still a full yeah, gag. Cause I, Nick, Nick Shopper's, you are doing the thing. Yeah. Thank you, bro. But I'm saying this for the young queer artists that like really want to do their art. 
and they just don't do it because we really we don't see ourselves being anything other than shamed or shaded from like you know and so i just didn't give a fuck and i just did something i just shared what is i've already has been doing in my room and it, it has fulfilled me in so many ways. And I'm so glad that you even brought it up that you like the music. Because it's just like, that. if you don't like it, it's for me. I just finally got the courage to share it with everybody else. So I'm happy that I love doing it, that it, it's successful. I love that. Uh, Antoine, I want to ask you, what has been the kind of the coolest audience interaction or uh, audience correspondence you've received since, uh, since Strange Loop has opened? I think other than Michelle Obama coming, I think it actually happened. Our most, our most magical show was not opening. It was actually this past Friday when Queen Latifah, <laughs> Gail King, and Bevy Smith were all in the audience, which by the way, the next day Quest Love came. And it was just electric. Like the audience gave, it was just, it, you couldn't hear anything at the Lyceum. And then to find out they were all, we didn't know, they were all in the audience and they lived and Queen Latifah shared that it was her second time seeing the show. And Gail King was fanning out when she met me and did the pose. Like it's, I'm gagged. Quest Love was like, I gotta meet y'all. Let's do a picture. It's just like, whoa. And it's good for our industry because musical theater is an elite art form where it combines all of the best forms of art. So now people are starting to put some respect back on its name. So come see a strange loop. Absolutely. And uh, I want to give a shout out to original ideas as having commercial success, too. I just think that's so important. And I'm so happy to see this wholly original piece have such an impact. Um, just uh, because we're running low on time, T, um, Elevator Pitch, where can we learn more about uh, your organization, Black Theater Collective? Black Theater Coalition. You can go to blacktheatercoalition.org and learn all about it. No, please, it's 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 okay. There's so many organizations, and and I've I've been around long enough to know that I'm not gonna get my feelings hurt by somebody mispronouncing something or getting the thing wrong. All you can do is do says just correct them, so that we're all on the same page. Like uh, this, these past couple of years have been about us really pushing the industry so that we can have more black professionals working in positions that are actually writing checks and not only cashing them. I love cashing a check, but we have to have more people who look like us, who are producers and are directors and our general managers who are casting, who have the vision and say, whoa, 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 this is the story we need to be telling. So that's, that's a huge part of our organization, but you can go to blacktheatercoalition.org and look that up. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's amazing. Right, now looking, Looking at us all, uh, as Antoine put it, and I love this, I love this as kind of a cap to the episode, that we are actors, that that's what we are. We're actors, we're performers. What are all of our dream roles? Well, I'll my, jump my, in. My, I'll just, my, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, shit. Go, go Laquette. No, go Laquette. Go Laquette. Well, I, I would say go that my dream, my dream role is being, is being a writer. I, while I love being on stage and I think that there's really, the high that you get from it is just so incredible. I have been doing the very thing that Nicholas has been talking about and actually sharing the things that I've been writing and the artistic voice that I had to sit on for a really long time so that I could just fit in that by sharing what it is that I'm writing, I feel um, a high that dare I say tops being on stage. So for me, my ideal role is uh, that of the writer and letting more stories that 
have resonated with me um, come to the stage for amazing actors to perform. That's beautiful. Yes, please, LaQuette Charnel. Yes. Uh, we're going to give that a big old stay tuned. I love that. <laughs> T, how about you? I know you're working on something uh, very cool right now. Uh, I, listen, I'm always working. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I tell you, it's been so good. These, I've learned so much over this career, and I've been able to work with some really amazing people and some people who, who did not necessarily know what they were doing, but I learned a lot from them, too. Uh, so I'm, I think like, like, like if I was talking about an onstage role, I still would love to perform George from Sunday in the Park with George, oh, but with there, there's so many, there's so many, there, there, but there's so much work that I want to do offstage. Everyone's so gagged. everyone's like, working, but, but it's the thing is like that it's the, and it's, it's the music, it's the music also that you don't, you don't necessarily get to see us singing all the time, but that show and those, yeah, that music is, is always so is dear to me, but I, um, I, I, it's, it's time for me to be on the creative side. I mean, there's so many stories that I want to tell and I want to be a part of making sure that they're told in a way that has humanity to them and, and, and has a bit of the experience that the four of us have, have gone through as, as black artists. I want to make sure that those stories are on, on stages. So for me, it's, it's about being, uh, being, being on the other side of the creative table over this, this next, this next uh, season, this next chapter. I love that as well. And has it been announced what you're what you're re rehearsing for now? That you're doing? I think so. Uh, yeah, um, I'm yeah. the associate movement director on Death of a Salesman coming come to Broadway. On. Yay, congratulations! Come on. Thank you. Oh my thank god! You, thank that's you. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Y'all look like that. Y'all know how. Y'all know. know. There's, there's, there's not, there's not, there's not a person on this thing that that is not always working. There's always, always an right? iron in the fire. Uh, this group, for that's sure. True. And Nick, you continue to to catapult towards uh, pop star. And what role would you like to play? Um, I, I definitely my dream role of all times and is now it's I, I don't know if it, it could happen now because rightfully so patina miller has made it into a, another realm and i'm obsessed with patina miller i can't believe i haven't met her yet she has no idea how much i'm obsessed with her but um she's i would like to right now well if she's listening girl yeah. you have been the one for me for a very long time i'm not even trying to be weird it's just the facts um but um i would love to play the leading player when I sat in the audience and watched her do that, I, 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 I will never forget. That was one of the top three theatrical moments I've ever had. And I just have always been obsessed with that part. And when I saw, I never, and I became obsessed with her from Sister Act. So when I, I, I this was a specific moment in my life, being in the front row and then Charlotte Dean Boys. She won't, she won't remember this me because I was a little kid, just excited to be in the front row and I was acting out. And you know the part when they're talking to the audience and saying, you're extraordinary, you're extraordinary. Charlotte Dean Boys grabbed my face in the middle. Because we all know how we will play up for an audience member in the front row that is having a good time. Sure, sure. And that was me. We're and clocking she, who they are and where they are. She grabbed my face and said, you're extraordinary. And I lost it. It was one of the most magical days of my life. <laughs> so uh, watching that, I, leading player, ah. I would love to do that. And I would like to do a visual ah. album. <laughs> my own visual album one day where I have a, a, a narrative through like a, a a movie of music videos. That's that's a real dream. Oh my gosh. Nice. K 
Because this is where it's happening in this room. Antoine, dream role. Dream role would, um, I don't know, it hasn't been written yet, but I would love for someone to do um, uh -huh. Othello with the original text, but in the realm of like a Hamilton, so to speak, and I play Othello. And I also welcome me playing Frankenfurter and Rocky. And I also welcome Swinney. Oh, Tyler. I watched that. Yes, please. I yes. watched all of that. And Mrs. Oh. Lovett at the same time? <laughs> yes, as Lovett, yes. Here's the trick. They're the same person. It's all, it's a schizophrenic. One person show, let's go. That would One be great, actually. Y'all are joking. That could actually work. For everybody, <laughs> yeah. Marie, you are the lost long dupe that Down Abbey didn't know they had. So that will be starring in the West. I mean, on the London BBC, um, Nick Burroughs will be Nat King Cole in the movie. That will be his Oscar. Laquette, you will be a cartoon superhero brought to life. Amen. Yes! Guys, claim it, 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 claim it. The manifestation has been made. The secret is being used. My friends, I cannot tell you how much I admire and love each and every one of you. I'm a huge fan of you on stage and off. Thank you for spending so much time with us. Um, I appreciate you having this conversation with me and the world. I love you very much. And I hope to see you guys very, very soon. Thank you so much. I love you. Thank you, thank you. Love you, Ben. Love you. Bye, beautiful people. You just gotta love them. Um, I love how much ground we covered in that conversation. Um, serious and joyful and insightful. I couldn't be more grateful to our guests. Thank you, T. Oliver Reed, Laquette Charnel, Nick Rashad Burroughs, and Antoine Hopper. I love you guys very much. All right. Hey, friends, you got to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can rate us. You can review us. Also, follow us on social media at The Broadway Cast. Follow me at Ben Does Broadway on all social platforms. And if you would like to support us even more, which we beg of you to do, you can support us on Patreon. All you got to do is click the link in the liner notes. You can support us, and we're going to make exclusive behind-the-scenes content just for you. Hope that we'll see you in the Patreon world. All right, for now, I'm your Broadway buddy, Ben Cameron, saying have a great show. Bye-bye. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, already a know. podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. 
Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 